Good morning, everyone. It's Wednesday, May 15th. Hoka Carbon X Day. The Carbon X shoe is out, folks. Get your shoes now online. And, folks, we're going to be giving away some Carbon X shoes to people who call in with the best audio later in the podcast. So please do that. But what a week, guys. Welcome to the podcast. What an unbelievable week. I, mean, I don't know where to begin. This is Let's Run.com co-founder Robert Johnson, joined by Weldon Johnson and Jonathan Galt. Last week, some really unbelievable, unpredictable, unexpected things. What was more likely? Mary Kane returning to a race and actually finishing it. A white guy dominating the Texas sprints at the high school level. The U.S., well, this is actually predictable. Watching the world relays. So much to talk about and more. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Good morning, Robert. Good to be here. And we got an exciting Shanghai Diamond League to come this week on Saturday as well. Great hurdles race. Sydney McLaughlin's running the 400, her first Diamond League. There's a loaded men's 5,000, so a lot to get to. Weldon, what's most exciting you this week? Obviously, John, it's the Carbon X shoe launch. That's what I'm most excited about. I've got the shoes on right now, second straight podcast. You guys are missing out. I mean, come on. But I got an extra bounce in the step, ready to go. You guys can now buy the shoes at hokaoneone.com. And they are the big sponsor of the podcast and the big sponsor of Let's Run this month. Floyd's of Leadville is also a sponsor. We'll get into them later. But we used a little Floyd's of Leadville in my bedroom last night. But go to floydsofleadville.com and use code RUN2019 to save 15% on certified CBD products. Wait, before we get to the track action, Weldon mentioned bedroom and Floyd's of Leadville. I listened to the Stephanie Bruce interview at the end of last week's podcast after we signed off. Amazing job. I love the interview, but how great was it that she made it very clear that there was nothing romantic ever between Weldon and herself. Stephanie, fantastic stuff. Amazing. I was laughing so hard. Yeah, I, I guess I had said, you know, she came through Flagstaff and went to my apartment. and I didn't think anything of it. Totally innocent. And <laughs> she jumped in and made a point. So... I guess I'm known as like creepy Weldon or something. Well, there was some running stuff to talk about that happened last week. Let's do that. I think the thing that we've been talking about a lot is Matthew Bowling. So let's start there. This high school star from Texas and John White star. We have to, we have to, we can't, we can't hide his race because let's be honest. This is crazy. You know, we cover track and field the full time, but I think you've experienced the same thing. I have like random friends who do not follow track. have been texting me like, Hey, have you heard about this dude? Is he white? I'm just seeing it on Twitter. It's like Boston Sports had something like, watch this white guy walk, run down everyone in the 4x4 of the Texas State meet. And I, I don't go on Boston, but it popped up on my Twitter. And they have other stuff like, you know, every mainstream sites are just like, look at this guy. Look what he can do. And I guess I have a couple takes. One, Matthew Bowling, what he did at the Texas State meet was phenomenal. He ran 10-13 to win the 100. He... Won the long jump after just two attempts. He jumped over 25 feet. Uh, it was a little wind-dated, but it was still a good mark. And then just was like, look, I'm not taking any more jumps. I need to conserve my energy for the sprints. And then his final race, the 4x4, split an incredible 44-7-5 leg to run down the leaders and win the meet for his win the race for his straight Jesuit team. Uh, it's a it's a high school in Texas in uh, Houston, which is where he goes. And his forty-four seven five, so the U.S. ran the U.S. senior men ran at the World Relays over the weekend. If Matthew Bowling had run in that race, he would have had the second fastest leg for the U.S. men, and actually might have helped them. Might have been the difference between them winning and losing to Trinidad and Tobago because they got beat 
in that race pulled the day whoa the anchor um face planting at the line it was it was a rough rough one for the u.s men i'm not obviously it's somewhat different circumstances but you know for it's the same track it's the same distance of a track 44 75 is faster than three of the guys on that team who failed to break 45 seconds so i i thought it was a phenomenal weekend for matthew bowling but also we've seen phenomenal high school athletes before and i don't remember a sprinter when was the last time a sprinter got this much hype as a high, a high school male sprinter got this much hype guys never since let's run has been founded i mean jeff dimps was pretty big i mean candace hill was going pro at age 15 or 16 but she wasn't a national story and look and that's maybe a good uh, name to mention i mean she went pro a couple years ago and is doing nothing now now i guess the women's sprinting and men's sprinting is different we have a lot of body issues with the women but I'm going to mention a few names here, and I'm going to tell you how many of these people are Olympians individually. These are the people that have run faster than Matthew Bowling's 10.13 in high school. Trent Tavis Friday, 10 flat. Jeff Demps, 10.01. Anthony Schwartz did it last year at altitude, 10.09. And Derek Florence, 1986, ran 10.13 in Texas as well. Uh, those aren't exactly household names, are they, John? No. Well, Anthony Schwartz actually was uh, – I think he went viral a little bit because he was a great wide receiver on the Auburn football team last year. He's only a freshman in college, so maybe he's got a chance still. But, yeah, the other guys, I think it just shows in any event, it's not just sprints. Running fast in high school doesn't guarantee you're going to be really a stud at the next level. But look at the high school 200-meter record holder, Noah Lyles. Granted, he hasn't officially made an Olympic team yet, but he's been the best 200-meter runner in the world for the last couple of years. So – it, can't, it doesn't mean that you he could be the next Noah Lyles, but he could also be the next Jeff Demps or Trent Davis Friday, and we'll have to wait a few years to find out. Hey, Jeff Demps does have an Olympic medal on a relay and 14 yards in the NFL, John. I mean, how many guys would want that? There aren't many people who have both of those things. I'll admit that. New England Patriot, right, at one point? I think they had him in training camp and caught him before the regular season. I think one thing um, going for bowling is that his range, you know, he runs 400 down to 100. He did not even run the 100 this year. It just sort of started happening. I think his first 100 was in March. So I hate to use the word Usain Bolt with anybody, but, you know, Usain was none more as a 200 runner. And then he started just blasting the 100. And not that the bowling's anything like Usain Bolt, but the range is just tremendous in high school to be able to go sub 45 on a relay and 10, one in a hundred. Um, but obviously, yeah, a lot of the reason he gets the publicity is his race, just sort of interesting. And maybe he'll change what people think is possible. And I think if you go back like 60 years, people thought, you know, white people were better athletes than black people in America. So I think a lot of times we, I don't know, get these, visions in her head of stuff that's not true or possible and base it on race when in reality it's way more complicated than that right and well then people aren't going to like this because they call me the killjoy of this podcast but jeff demps had his silver medal stripped from the four by one in 2012 because tyson gay was on that relay in the final usa got stripped the medal retroactively so he no longer has the silver medal speaking of which can we read the, the message board thread about jonathan galt I haven't seen it, but I've heard about it. I think it was JG's too serious, right? We've been featuring the message board deleted thread of the week the last few weeks. 
we used to do message board thread of the week. We'll bring that. We'll bring both back this week. Um, this is uncontingent for message board thread of the week. Why is JG always so serious? And then the poster, poster with an app name, the podcast listener says, I like listening to the podcast, but Jonathan Galt just ruins the fun every single time. Far too serious and really draining. Next poster, plus one, typical lib ruining the fun. John on the podcast. <laughs> Sorry, guys. So there you have it, folks. I'll keep the podcast light and entertaining. Try to let, let John ruin our enjoyment. But, you know, back to bowling. He reminds me a little bit, we're talking about these st- racial stereotypes of Bruno, the guy we had at Cornell when I was coaching there, Bruno Hortolano Roig. He was a sprinter and, you know, he's pretty good at the Ivy League level at the 100 and 200. And immediately, I, I mean, I wasn't the sprint coach. But I was thinking, man, how good is this guy going to be at the 400? You know, I was thinking as a white guy internationally, he's got to move up to the 400. And in reality, I mean, he did try the 400 some at the Ivy League level, but he's now run 10.06 and 20.04. I think he's like Spanish record holder, maybe at both distances, you know, European gold. So I think even some of these athletes buy into these stereotypes. The fact that he hadn't tried the 100, which is kind of a, a basic event to try, is pretty interesting. One thing I think he has going for him is it's just overall athleticism. I mean, he does the long jump. You know, people are debating on the message board if, if that's his best event. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, how, how this plays out. And, and one thing I think we did do a good job on that article. We wrote an article trying to put everything in perspective on, on, the, on, the, on the website. The, the thing that I think is the most unfair is like talking about how he's only 0.4 off Usain Bolt. Like, that's a lot. You know, and I compared him to Bolt in the sense of when Bolt was this age, he had already run like a 1993 win legal 200, which is significantly better than, than what he's done. So. He's good. It's exciting. But let's talk about this, John. I know we talked about it off limits. Weldon, do you think he should go pro now? Most definitely not. Usually I say yes, but this kid, he's found something that's working for him. He was really involved in the state championship. I mean, the 4 by 4 to give his team a battle. So he seems like a kid that is thriving on the team. No one had heard of him before. Like, he threw a freshman like that pro now. Like, I just... I think he might get eaten up. I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say a kid because usually I say like, yeah, Mary King, take the money for sure. But I think, no, I think go to college, go to Georgia. He can be well-rounded, do the long jump, do the sprints. He needs to keep, keep doing everything. Right. I mean, you look at, look at Noah Lyles. He did turn pro right out of high school, which is very rare for a male high school sprinter, but he was fourth at the Olympic trials. Like he was very, he was one of the very best in the country, almost made the Olympic team would have had a decent chance to make the Olympic final that year had he run. Matthew Bowling, 10-13, is not going to get you fourth at USA's this year in the 100. He might, he, I don't, he, he's qualified to run USA's barely now, but I don't think he'd even make the final. So to suggest he should go pro now, I think is ill-advised. The way I would describe it is, you know, it's that old adage, the guy who's winning the races, you know, is getting tons of money. And the guy who's in lane eight, you know, is barely scraping by. He probably could get some decent offers, but at 10 one, three, you're lucky to get a lane in Europe. Um, you're probably not getting a lane, really, to be honest. And then uh, the name I would say is Josephus Lyles. I mean, Lyle, Noah's brother, if, if they're not brothers, he doesn't get a big contract. But, you know, he was running 20.74 and 45.4. What has he done as a pro? So, right. Almost as impressive as Bowling's run was the call of the race. I'm going to drop this audio in here. 
But if you haven't heard of this, this is the final minute of the race. Matthew Boeing at the state meet. James on the way. Do we have a walkdown in this final race? Here in Mike A. Myers. Can he do it? Final running third. 300 meters remaining, and we see it coming. Ladies and gentlemen, get your cameras out. Can he go and get it? Final race as a high school performer. 200 meters remaining. Here comes the dance. Can he hold him off? 150 meters. He turns over the leg. Here he comes. Ladies and gentlemen, you've got to know what's getting ready to happen. 100 meters remaining. Here comes the lockdown. Can he hold him off? 50 meters. Ladies and gentlemen, he is Matthew Bowling and his dog. Ladies and gentlemen, Houston State Jesuit, Matthew Bowling, you will not see that again for the final run of his high school career. Yeah, that was awesome. I loved how into the race the announcer was. And he, he, I mean, he knew exactly what was at stake and what was going to happen. And I do feel a little bad for the guy in front because he had a, the leader of the leading team, the anchor of the leading team had a pretty big lead. And all the announcer was talking about was, let's see if Matthew Bowling can get him. You know, is he going to get a, what are we going to get a walk down here? And that's exactly what happened, which is awesome. But you got to th- think of the pressure on that kid in front, you know, all those fans wanting you to lose. I mean, with that lead, it's nuts. Like the first words out of his mouth are like, walk down coming. And, you know, do we have a walk down? And just like, you got to be kidding me. And the crowd's just going nuts. So you couldn't hear the audio. It's because the crowds are just going crazy, crazy. But wow, what a call. And he called it. Yeah, I feel like it probably caused the kid in front. Who, who knows? He probably still ran like a 47 point. <laughs> yeah, everyone enjoyed it except for him. But guys, in my effort every week to turn everything back to me and how great I am, Reminds me of my call last year on the Ivy League Network, ESPN Plus now, with Bill Spaulding, when Gabby Thomas split 49-44 at the Ivy League Championships, uh, running down an Olympian from Columbia uh, in the 4x4. Can we play that audio, Weldon? Uh, no. I will give credit to Robert on that one, though. He nailed the split exactly. He like hand-timed it, and he got it down to the 100th. That was the most impressive thing, I would say. I demand that we play it. Um, we're going to drop it at the end of the podcast, at the end of the podcast, please. And then next week, this can be some of the audio, folks. Well, who do you like better as an announcer, the Texas State meat guy or Robert Johnson and Bill Spaulding? I think we're equally as good. I'm building my brand. Apparently, Bill – now, Bill did the World Relays with Otto Bolden last week. Bill's getting – he gets sort of some grief from, um, like, his uh, fellow professionals. Like, apparently, some of them know that we love Bill. It's like, oh, you're the Let's Run, like, favorite boy. All right, I will play that audio if you get it to me. I'll put it, drop it at the end of the podcast. And maybe we turn there now to World Relays. So all I know is Bill Spaulding did the, the broadcast. Actually not, but World Relays, first time outside of Bahamas. They were in Yokohama, Japan. Also the first time there were no distance relays, but this time instead of having a 4 by 8 or DMR, they had a, I think it's called 2 by 2 by 4 Yep. An athlete runs... A 400, a male or female athlete runs a 400. Then an athlete of the opposite sex runs a 400. Then the first athlete runs a 400 again. And then the last athlete runs a 400. It was pretty interesting because also there was no limits on who went first, male or female. So teams split it up. And for the U.S., Sierra Brown went first and Donovan Brazier second. 
the Kenyans did their man first. So throughout the race, the Kenyans way ahead until the final leg, and Don Razor just walks down the Kenyan leader. So an interesting race for sure. Worth a watch. We put the videos in Let's Run. If you didn't see these, you, you know, sprint races take a very short time. We have like the highlights of them, of all of them. But outside of that race, it was a pretty disastrous meet for the U.S. Uh, based on expectations, right? Like, see, the women won the 4 by one um, The men got beat in the 4 by one Didn't drop the baton, just got beat and by... Brazil. Brazil won the 4 by one We got beat in the 4 by 4 both 4 by 4s I mean, the U.S., I feel like in the past, we could just sort of like scrub together four people off the street and pretty much win in, on most 4 by 4s That's no longer the case because we've been getting beat at other international stuff but it's just sort of shocking to see in both races to get beat well well and i looked this up all right trivia question for you guys world indoors world outdoors olympics world relays those are sort of the big meets for relays when is the last time that the usa failed to win both the men's and women's four by four when do you think the last time that happened was i feel like the men have lost recently but not the women so i'm gonna go back like 40 years or something Okay, so you're saying, like, what, do you have a year specifically? I mean, I'm close. 1976, the doped Soviet era. Robert? Never. No, neither of you were close. It's 2004 World Indoors, but that's still 15 years. That's There's a lot of championships in between 2004 and uh, and now. Um, so for them to lose that, the, both those races was pretty incredible. First of all, and maybe I should have done a little more show prep, but I would try to find the prize money. Was there no prize money for this race? They used to have big prize money, and I cannot find it. I Googled it all night last night. So I did try to, I, I was going to write that in my office because some big names skipped this event. Like, where was Michael Norman? Some of these people are even running in Shanghai. You think you'd go to Japan and then run Shanghai this weekend. But uh, we had six of the 20 fastest men in the world in 400. Michael Norman was number one. Fred Curley, number eight. Nathan Strother, nine. Paul Dedewa, number 11. Kamari Montgomery, 14. Quincy Hall, 16. So I can see how you know you could lose if, if a few of those guys don't show up. I mean, if, if Norman doesn't show up, you're dealing with eight, nine, 11. Four. I mean, maybe that's possible on, on the men's side. But the women, we had six of the 10 fastest women in the world last year. Wembley was number three, Irby number five, Ellis number six, McLaughlin number seven, Francis tied for number seven, and Beard number eight. Like, how does that happen? Yeah, that was crazy. I watched that race. I, the first thing was, I think they lost it on the third leg and the third exchange because in that race, Jessica Beard, who was, as you said, the ninth fastest woman in the world last year, she split 53, over 53 seconds. And the handoff from her to Courtney Acolo, who was the anchor, they just they sl- slowed down. They lost a f- few places there, and they they were end up they were behind Italy. They they should have been ahead of Italy on the final exchange, and they just didn't do it quickly or smoothly enough, and so they lost position there. And then Courtney Acolo, who is the world indoor champion, couldn't make up the deficit at the end, ended up getting beat by Poland. And Poland did have a pretty good anchor. I mean, they. Have, they Decent depth, but the U.S. women should be unbeatable in this event with the people they had in that team. All four of their legs were among the 20 fastest women in the world last year. Poland had two women in the top 75 from their team. So really on paper, it shouldn't be close, but just really, you know, poor poor job by the U.S. in that race. Yes, there was $1.19 million prize money. So I don't know what the breakdown was for each event, but... 
I see that there was prize money. Who won the golden baton, John, for the best team? Do we know that? Here we go. U- USA won that again. We dominated, winning by 54 points to 27. So we'll take it all back. A very successful world release for the USA. Dominant position. I mean, just so shows how you need a little nuance when analyzing this stuff because it was pretty poor meat for the U.S. Let's go back to this 2 by 800 with a break. The 2 by 2 by 4 which I didn't even know was happening really, and then I started analyzing afterwards. It fascinates me. So the U.S. did win the gold, but I've done some analysis, and I have my performer of the week. I, I This is, of all the things, actually, we have the Ethiopian 10,000-meter championships were held last week, and we're going to talk about that. There's some good performances out there. But my performer of the week comes from the this 2 by 2 by 4 And I what I did was I compared everybody's total time. So the splits, by the way, in IWF relays were terrible. There were no live splits, really poor. But I just added up. Like Donovan Brazier ran 50.8 on the first leg and then a 48.82. And so that's a total time of 139.62. You know, uh, Sarah Brown ran 56.30 and then 61 flat on leg number two for 157.30. So I added up all the times, ranked them by their, by, by, you know, the men's fastest, slowest. Uh, Brazier was the fastest at 139.62. Then Japan's Alan Tatsumani Clay ran 140.66. Australia's Joshua Ralph ran 141.11. So that was three. Uh, Sarah Brown was the second fastest woman, but was not really very good in my opinion at all at 157.30. Because what I did was I compared their times to their PRs. So who do you think did the best relative to their PRs? Well, Brazier ran four seconds faster. That Joshua, the Australian guy, the Australian Japanese guys had to be pretty much pretty fast, a decent amount faster as well. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. So Brazier was three point eight percent faster than his PR. He ran three point nine three seconds faster than his PR. Some other guys were four and four on the women's side. Sarah Brown was only point six percent faster than her PR. She only ran. Seven tenths, seventy one hundredths of a second faster than her PR with a break between the two legs of the four hundred. I mean, a sixty one second second four hundred was terrible. So I mean, one fifty seven thirty. Like Caster Semenya would beat her. Ag Wilson would beat her straight up with with no break. She negative split it right. I mean, positive split it. She went went faster on the first one. Was Brazier went faster on the second one? So it sounds like you need to save something for the second leg. She went too hard in the first leg. Right. I don't totally blame them. No one has run this kind of relay before, so you don't really know exactly how to pace it. She also had less rest than Brazier for what it's worth. I think maybe, folks, we should go to this full time because my performer of the week, Alan Tatsunami Clay of Japan. John, please tell me what you know about him. I know you know everything about every runner. Uh, He ran for the Japanese team at the World Relays last week. Correct, correct, correct. He is 17 years old. He was running like in the Florida relay for some reason in March. From the best I can tell, his PR is 148.31. 148.31. Yet he ran 50.60, His total time was 140.66. He broke his PR by 7.65 seconds. That's like 7% faster than his PR. I mean, he was amazing. And I'm thinking, you know, these Japanese guys are so good at the marathon, they don't get tired, but they're terrible at middle distances. Maybe this would give them a chance at the middle distances. Like, how incredible is that? A 17-year-old almost, I mean, he was just one second off Donovan Brazier. It's incredible. But really the stats, and maybe I'll publish this as a separate piece today, 
to just show that the reason why the U.S. won is they had the best guys. I mean, they had a 143.55 guy. The next best 800 runner in that leg was a 145.7, and then everybody else was 147 or 148. So, of course, we won. Same thing in the um, 800. We had the best open 800 runner in there. Yeah, not really a surprise. And that's, I mean, that's really, that's why you think they should have won all these other races. Like the 4 by 2 women's 4 by 2 they got blown away by France and then disqualified. Men's 4 by one they had the reigning world champion, Justin Gatlin. They had Noah Lyles, the U.S. champion. They had two other guys who ran 992 or faster last year. Japan had, sorry, Brazil had no one who ran 992 or faster last year, but their handoffs were better. They worked better as a team. Brazil had no one under 10 seconds last year on that team. That's my takeaway, though, from this meet, is I actually think the world relays were fun to watch, and I think what's great is it's not just about who's the best person on paper. Like You look at many individual events on the Diamond League, and you kind of know... Casta Semenya on paper is way better than everyone else and she's going to blow everyone away. Or if Michael Norman is base- racing a bunch of average guys in the fo- well, not average guys, but anyone but like Wade Van Niekerk in the 400, Michael Norman's going to win. But you look at the relays and you line up on paper and you say the US should win this race. They have the best athletes, but it's not always the case. Things go wrong. The baton, the exchanges are important. And I think it adds an element of uncertainty that is too often lacking at the top levels of the sport. But that should really only be for the 4x1. The 4x4, there's no excuse. But while we're ripping on the U.S., we should point out that Japan, who we always praise for their baton exchanges, blew their baton exchange and didn't even make the final in the men's 4x1. And the last time we had the World Relays, uh, the Great Britain men did not even make the final at World Relays. They botched the baton. Maybe they made the final, but I know they botched the handoffs at one point and didn't do anything. And yet they won the World Championship a few months later. So... We could still do it at Worlds. We did win the mixed relay 4x4. Four four. I was just kind of curious because I did not see World Relays this weekend. So on the final day, we had three 4x4s? Four four yeah, it's ridiculous. They ran it right after the regular same gender 4x4s. Four four it's just a t- complete dilution of the talent pool. Though I will say Belgium's uh, World Junior Champion, Jonathan Secor. He ran the men's 4x4, and then he came back about 20 minutes later and ran a leg on the mixed 4x4. So I give him respect for that, but you just, I mean, it was essentially everyone's B team on the mixed 4x4, and just not interesting to see not the best athletes run against each other for a medal that put, is equal, theoretically, to the one in the regular 4x4. But they are not even equal. They put that last. They highlighted that as the final event of the championships. It shows you how sort of the... the that wasn't the final event of the championships. It wasn't? There's the the 4x1. Yeah, but it was the last 4x4 four four is what I meant. I don't understand having three on the same day. Maybe at an Olympics, fine. They want to try it out, having a mixed gender... Are they doing it at Worlds or just the Olympics this year? They're doing it at Worlds. And the thing about if they do it at Worlds or the Olympics, if they spread it out enough on the schedule so that the top athletes can run both relays. I don't. They are doing it. They're 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 putting like it's possible to run like mixed gender relay. Then your open event. Then the four by four. I don't see anyone doing that though. I don't think anyone wants to run all three of those events. I would for the gold medals. What's going to end up happening? You're going to have some scrubs running the four by four mixed mixed gender four by four, and or you're going to have studs running it against scrubs. It's just devaluing it. I don't think it's a good idea. It, we want the best competing against the best, and if people are sort of picking and choosing, I think it dilutes it a bit, but fine. We'll give it a chance. Yeah. All right, Robert, we're almost half an hour into the podcast, and you barely said two words about Mary Kane. Uh, you need to remedy this situation. Yes, but I can't really 
Can I bring in Alberto Salazar at the same time? We need to. I mean, it's a weekly quota, right? Yes. Some people think I'm obsessed with Mary Kane. I don't, and no, I just, folks, I know what people like to talk about. They, I've, I, we have a list of the top seven message board threads from last week. I started four of them. So Mary Kane, she's a name. She's, uh, she's, you love her or hate her. You, you say she's toast or talent never goes away. So she returned and ran her first race in over 900 days or finished her first race in nine over day, 900 days, folks running the central park Japan run and in, in, in four miler in central park in 2150 winning the women's division folks. Is she back? John, I think the stats reveal she's definitely back. This race had like 4,000 finishers. Only two men beat her. She beat like 3,900 people. Think about that. She's back. Robert, there's no need to patronize her. She's she's not back. She probably she almost certainly will never return to the level that she was at in 2013-2014, but I think it's I think everyone agrees it's good to see her running again. She seems to be mentally in a better place based on that video from her training at in Mammoth Lakes. And at the time, her training was not going well. She, you know, she could barely run. Her form was awful, but I think she she knew that because there was some she was going through some injury issues and it looked like I didn't really get to study her form during the race, but it certainly looked closer to what it was when she was healthy. I think it's good she's running again, and I think she it's good that she seems to be enjoying the sport again, but I don't think we're going to be talking about her as a serious contender to make any any world championship or Olympic teams ever again. The Japan run, it made TV here. I had it on New York One, the local news station, and they're like, Japan run! And I knew Mary Kane had run once. I sprinted in there, started filming it so I could send you guys a little video. They didn't mention the winners of the race. They talked about the great festival in the park, and I was like, oh, come on, man. Like, it's a race. Highlight the competitive part of it. Not even like a token interview with Mary. Yeah, the video of her training in Mammoth Lakes put out by the Mammoth Lakes Tourist Bureau was pretty interesting because she looked pretty beat up. So I was kind of amazed to see that from the winter and her running this. But it's just such a long way whether she can ever get back to sort of not even national class. Obviously, I hope she does. But if she doesn't, she seemed to have a very good perspective. She's like, I'm going to be a 60-year-old woman, and I hope I'm a more kick-ass person then than I am now. And, you know, being a professional athlete, it's just a little sliver of your life. And she seems to be in a good spot. I wonder if, if just how beat up she was. She's talked about trying to be an athlete again. And she should join like a pickup soccer league or something, just sort of quick body movements, other stuff. And I don't know, do something completely different than running and while training for running, but just, I don't know, like to mentally sort of break it up and get these other body movements going. And then maybe she can think about running after that. But I like that. Mary Kane can join your co-ed soccer team. Well, no, I, I agree with you guys. I, I thought it was great to see her running. I mean, as someone who was extremely injury prone, again, bringing everything back to myself in high school and college, there's nothing worse than being someone you, you find something you love, you find something you're good at. And then to be injured in, in your teenage years and your early twenties, there's nothing worse. So it's good to see her back. Um, I'm kind of with John. I don't think, I mean, I think she can like make the Olympic marathon trials or something like that, but I don't know if she can, I don't think she's going to be a contender for stuff, but you know, let's see. The question I had is like, does she still make a lot of money from Nike? Like she goes to these mammoth lakes track clubs. Like how does she make a living? Like she's out of college now. I'm confused. I would love to know what her contract situation is. I mean, you're not going to hear it. Nike, she's not going to tell you. Nike's not going to tell you. Her agent, Ricky Sims, isn't going to tell you. But who knows? It's a good question. 
I do remember when she went pro, just my takeaway, people go, should she go pro or not? I'm like, all I know is if she goes pro, there better be like seven figure guarantees, no matter what happens. And pretty much no matter what happened, happened. So hopefully she, you know, she got taken care of on the front end. If there's some contract now, she's still getting paid, but I hope it was just all guaranteed on the potential she had, all the buzz she was, she was generating at the time. I mean, when you sign a contract like that, there's risk on both sides and her upside was big. So, well, I think seven figures is th- that's fairly optimistic. Giving to a high school girl, like you think she's going to get seven figures guaranteed? I don't know, maybe. But who made the final of Worlds? Alan Webb got that when he turned pro. So why shouldn't she? I guess it's possible, but it, I also think I think she was right to turn pro because let's say she goes to college and regresses like she has or has injury problems like she has. You know, I don't. I don't think going to college would have suddenly mean, meant that she would have been a better athlete, and then she would have made more than she did with the Nike contract going pro in high school. I think going pro was still the right decision, and she got that. She got a nice amount of money for her limited time at the top. I agree, but if Sydney McLaughlin's making you know maybe two million a year, I think Mary Kane over her career for all she did definitely deserves seven figures and all the buzz. So. And I think for, in her situation, yes, yeah, you go pro. She was already training as a pro. She wasn't part of a high school team really at that point. Yes, take the money. And there's a lot more uncertainty about young female high school distance runners. So, well, I think part of McLaughlin's appeal was like sort of the Anna Kornikova aspect of her sponsorship as well. So I don't know why I'm getting crap, though, for, for being focused on Mary King. Weldon's the one that started a second message board thread on her. I put everything and then about the Mammoth Lake video and, and the original message board thread, the Weldon started a second one. And I realized he says, she said, we didn't talk about this. She said the, the, that the NLP wasn't really good for me. It wasn't really a mesh. Any comments on that? I would comment if I knew more about what she didn't really explain why it wasn't a great fit for her. I thought she, she had a lot of success on this. Her best period was clearly under, Alberto Salazar maybe it was once she was joining the group and there was that pressure to perform because if you're in the Nike Oregon project you're expected to be among the very best in the world and winning medals on the global stage so maybe she didn't like that aspect of it it was too intense from high school that she's focused on it full-time but that really only be speculation it's up to I don't know exactly why she didn't feel it was a mesh because she didn't explain further so I think it's up to Mary if she wants to discuss that I mean we're not surprised to say it wasn't a mesh right it didn't work out well for her I just remember when she went out there, I was like, wait, this kid's young. She's sort of new to running. Does she know any of this? I don't know. Some of these questions surrounding them. Just there, there's just a lot of stuff, especially if you're a high school kid that young to go join such a professional group where performance is put. It seems like it's at least put above everything. And I think that can be a very tough environment for anybody. A seasoned pro can probably handle it a little bit more, but you know, then they're going, people are going to see Dr. Brown and others would say, okay, that's fine. They're just trying to perform the best, but it's just, you know, every little thing to get the best. And that's what you got to do to succeed at this level to some extent. But I don't think it's a surprise to say she, she didn't think it was a mesh. She's not necessarily anything negative. She didn't say anything negative about, about Alberto or the group, but it didn't work out for her. So I think just saying, yeah, okay, hey, it didn't work out. It really wasn't a mesh. Not a surprise. But John, I think the poster can't now criticize you for being boring you introduced this subject so this will be good for your social status and that's run building my brand yep podcast rebel
So speaking of 23-year-olds, why don't we talk a little bit about the NCAA action last week? We had the conference meets. I mean, how, first of all, how crazy is the sprinting? seemed like every Power 5 conference had a sub-10, 100. I think there's five guys now under 10 seconds on the year. Like, the NCAAs in Austin are going to be sick. Maybe they should give Matthew Bowling an extra lane in the final. Straight to the final? No way. Who know, Who says he would even make the final? I know, but just as an exhibition, like to promote the sport. I think it would be interesting to enter him in the meet. Uh, but, yeah, no, some great action. I mean, the SEC, the SEC meet just every year blows me away how talented these guys are. Mondo Duplantis, best pole vaulter in the world pretty much right now, cleared six meters, a collegiate record to win the SEC meet in the pole vault. And then you've got Grant Holloway. He runs 1307 in the 110 hurdles in the prelims, which is the fastest collegiate time for 40 years. The next day, he gets beat in the final by Daniel Roberts of Kentucky because Roberts ran 1307, same time as Holloway ran the day before. So no one had done it for 40 years. And then you have two guys, two different guys doing it in the span of two days at the SEC meet. So that was incredible. So the 110 hurdles at NCAAs is also going to be phenomenal because both of those guys are going to have an eye on Ronaldo Nehemiah's legendary 13 flat collegiate record from 1979. And then you also had the viral moment of the weekend, Infinite Tucker of Texas A&M diving Superman style across the finish line to win the 400 hurdles. That was a crazy ending to a race. It was also kind of interesting. The guy he was diving to beat was his teammate. And I saw someone had a take like, that coach is going to be so upset at him for diving to beat his teammate. They already had 18 points locked up in the team score. I say that person's crazy. It's a conference title. You want to win the race. I have no, I don't fault him for doing that. You can question whether diving was the most efficient way to get to the finish line, but it certainly was awesome. It went, was all over the internet. Like I had people, Gary Lineker, the football pundit for the BBC was tweeting about this moment, about some college race. The BBC was tweeting about it some college race in Arkansas. So that was pretty awesome. What a name too. Infinite Tucker. I think if you got a name like that, you're meant to sort of die and take the center stage. Oh yeah. Like Zion Williamson, that guy was destined to be a good basketball player. Infinite Tucker destined to be a good good athlete. And apparently though, he, he dove in high school to win the 55 meter state title in New York. Diving in the 55? I feel like that definitely wouldn't help. Speaking of New York, Tiger Woods, another cool name. Just miles from me right now preparing for the PGA. Yeah, that begins today, Weldon. Are you going to be heading out to Bethpage Black? Oh, it's today? Oh, sorry. No, it starts tomorrow. It starts Thursday. My bad. I'm going out of town this weekend, so I'd have to go tomorrow. Can we talk about some more about the SEC meet? Where was it held? Does anybody know? Fayetteville, Arkansas. Good, John. Do you know what the attendance was by any chance? I don't know, and even the number that you were given might not be accurate. <laughs> I don't know the attendance, but I can tell you this. It was definitely less than the baseball attendance for the game. So Mondo Mondo was setting the collegiate record in the pole vault. Meanwhile, his brother was down the street hitting like a two-run home run or something in, in the LSU baseball game. LSU beat Arkansas 3-2, to two, and I think um, yeah, Antoine was 2-4 for four with three RBIs. So all three RBIs were from his brother. And apparently they were saying on the SEC broadcast as I was watching it, like, oh, the crowd's definitely filling up now that the baseball game's over. So basically very few people were in the stands. There was 11,037 people in Arkansas for the LSU-Arkansas baseball game. So whenever we are thrilled that, that the pre-classic gets like 10,000 people, 
just remind ourselves that we are still less popular than a regular season LSU Arkansas baseball game. Okay, what about the other college action, John, that we have? Real quick, I mean, there was some big distance action, and nobody was seeming to be talking about it on the message board, so I started a thread about this. Grant Fisher, the golden boy, he's a senior. He won the NCAA 5K two years ago. He was a superstar in high school. His college career is coming to an end. He's getting ready for his final NCAA meet, and he loses twice at the Pac-12 meet. He lost at 1,500 to Princeton alum, William Polson, who's running for Arizona State as a grad student, and then he lost the 5,000 to Tier of Oregon. So now he was tired in the 5,000, where his tier was fresh. And in the 1,500, he did beat a bunch of 338, 339 guys. So is this a good sign for him or a bad sign, John? I think it's hard to just divide it one way or the other. I I would guess I would lean towards, you know, it could be, it doesn't mean he can't win the NCAAs, but I, because look, the guy he lost to, William Polson was fifth in the NCAA mile champs. Okay. So he's a good miler. Cupertino was fourth in the NCAA 3K. So losing to those guys, there's no shame, but Grant Fisher did win the the Pac-12 1500 two years ago before he won the 5K title outdoors in NCAAs. So I'm sure he was hoping to win. It would have been a better sign if he had won. I do think Morgan McDonald has to still be the favorite right now in the 5K, but I'm not totally going to... I'm just because he lost to a pair of studs in their specialty events at the Pac-12s. That doesn't mean I'm going to... That's not why I'm going to write off Grant Fisher. Yeah, at first when I saw that he lost, I was like, wait, this isn't good. But I kind of agree. I mean, he lost to two studs. I I don't think we can – McDonald's definitely the favorite. But speaking of McDonald, how about his teammate, Oliver Hoare? He had beaten Nagusi earlier in the year outdoors to sort of say, hey, I'm, I'm ready to defend my title. But at the Big Ten meet, he got smoked. Uh, Michigan State's – Justine Kippertich. I was going to say Kippertich. Thank you. Smoked him. It wasn't really even close. Again, what does this mean? And I, I, I put this up on the message board, and someone pointed out, like, look, people forget how good Kipertich was. He was two years ago. He beat everybody in NCAAs except for Josh Kerr. He was a runner-up. So, again, though, I just don't think Hoare's been firing on all cylinders. You know, he didn't win indoors. I don't know. This, this is definitely putting big, big doubts for him. Well, I think it just makes it a really competitive mile, uh, 1,500 outdoors, because you've got Hoare, you've got Kipertich. You've got Jordy Beamish, who's the NCAA indoor champion from Northern Arizona. And you've got Yared Nagus, who anchored Notre Dame to the DMR title indoors. All those guys in the mix, I think a wide open 1500 is exactly what you like to see. That's one of the best events to have a wide open field in because you get craziness in the home straight. So I think that's going to be one of the events to watch. Okay, I said he smoked him, but Kipper just beat him by 0.39, so it wasn't really smoking. I stand corrected. Well, this is a little plug. I spoke to Jim Walmsley yesterday for a couple hours, and the talk was so long, you guys said I couldn't drop it at the, on the end of this podcast. So that will be coming in a couple of days. But, hey, it's Carbon X Day. It's good to hear from Jim. But he was talking about some of the pressures of college track and how it was just tough for him. But he's like, look, it's just I think the college track wasn't good for me because you're running all these other meets, but you're really trying to peak for this one meet, whereas – a lot of the ultra guys, they race a lot throughout the season, but he's like, you're just going for this one race. One race, important. Go one race, important. Whereas like, you know, how much, obviously a conference track meets very important, but sort of mentally, physically, you're getting ready for that. Some people are putting more focus on that than NCAAs, and some people are putting more focus on NCAAs. And obviously probably at that level, once you're, you know, at the Fisher 
Oliver level, like you're putting more emphasis on NCAs. So then maybe you're not quite ready at the conference meet. There's just a lot of stuff. And then if you're even thinking about worlds, maybe you're even backing off even more this year. So there's just a lot to think about. A few other NCAA studs I want to mention. Danae Rivers of Penn State, who won that NCAA indoor mile in crazy fashion, coming from like fifth to first in the last 20 meters or so. She is in fine form. She won the 1500 and the 800 at the Big Ten meet. I, I want to try to find a video of this, John. This is your task for the day. She, in, in the 1500s, she beat Julia Rizek, the NCAA indoor mile champ, by two hundredths of a second, 417.69 to 417.71. So that sounds like a fantastic race, particularly, well, I guess that would have come before the 800. So um, really good running there. I mean, she's obviously in, in good form and I guess has to be considered the woman to beat at NCAA outdoors. And in the men's, 800. There's no doubt the man to beat is Bryce Hopple of Kansas. I mean, he remained undefeated on the year 12 for 12. He hasn't lost a single race. So he beat John Akoich of Texas Tech. Pretty remarkable. I mean, the guy's been on fire this year. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be interesting. I'm assuming Rivers will defend her title in the 800, and that's the event she'll do. But in the 1500, I think you've got a lot of very intriguing possibilities because you could have Dunay Rivers. You've got Jessica Hull, who's the defending champion outdoors, who will probably do it. You've got um, Julia Rizek, who's the NCAA champion from Ohio State. And then you've got Danny Jones of Colorado, who last year was the best. I would say she was the best collegian running, but she redshirted. And she was the NCAA cross-country champion. She made her first race of the season wasn't until the end of April. April 26th, 27th is the meet. She ran 420 for 1500 at altitude. So that'll get her an easy NCAA qualifier in the 1500. And she just won the Pac-12 5000 title. So I think you could have a really exciting race with Jones and Hull and maybe Rizek and maybe even Danae Rivers in the 1500 NCAA outdoors. And, and Notre Dame Jessica Harris is number two. I mean, she split really fast at pin relays. She's the second fastest person of the year. Speaking of Harris, she actually ran the ACC meet. She didn't win even any event, but she ran the 800 and the 5,000. She was fourth in the 800, sixth in the 5,000. I guess she wants to stay away from the 1,500. But while we're talking about track, there's been an event that I don't think has been mentioned at all on the Let's Run homepage. I haven't seen any articles in it at all. The Ethiopian champs were held last weekend. And I don't really know. They always do some weird stuff. But I think the 10,000-meter champs there may have had some impact on their world team because a lot of studs ran it. Basically, you need to run this race like to qualify for their trials is how it's been explained to me. Okay. So, John, do you know who won the race? The men's race? Jamal Yima? I don't know. I'm just guessing. Borrega? Solomon Borrega. Okay. Um, he won pretty convincingly by two seconds. If you don't remember Borrega, folks, John, tell them who he is. I have the stats here. I'm just going to test your knowledge. Unsolicited. Oh, oh. I, I thought when initially I thought that was going to be like Robert saying to me, I know who he is. I know I've heard the name, but I don't know exactly what he's done. So I'll have John bailing me out. Anyway, he ran 1243 last year uh, to win the Diamond League title. So he's a, a total stud. Yep. He. I think it was like silver second. world indoors as well behind Kajelcha. Yeah. He gets the silver world indoors. Then doesn't even medal at world juniors. He was fourth. <laughs> yeah. 1243. So he won by two seconds at 28, 
over 59 18 half marathon or and Bellahu. Both those guys actually ran World Cross. Um, Varega was fifth, and Bellahu was who's only 20 years old was the 19th. And then 1256, 5845 guy, Abadi Hadas was third, but he was like, uh, well, he was six seconds back, and then fourth place was like 20 seconds behind him. So they were the class of the men's race. And the women's race was won by Letzanette Gaudet, the world XC bronze medalist. She's only 21. She won by a lot over seven seconds. Um, second placer was Tessa Hay Gamuchu, 20, who was fifth at World XC and has run 30-15 on the roads in Valencia. I mean, how come every time in Valencia is so fast on January 13th? And then the third placer was Natsunat Gudetta, the, the world half marathon champion. So some real quality at, at the top of those races. But what wasn't real quality, but I've already, well, I shouldn't, I'm not really sure if this is fair to say it's not real quality because I'm going to anoint this person. I've already handed out my performer of the week for the Japanese 17-year-old 100-meter runner. That's my running performer of the week. My field performer of the week, folks, the national champion, and excuse me, not just the national champion, the national record holder and national champion of the high jump in Ethiopia, Dippy Lamp, folks, big news report. Well, can you do the breaking news sound? Dippy Lemp has set a national record for the high jump in Ethiopia. Weldon, please guess the high jump record. Mark and John, you follow him. Is this a men's high jump or a women's high jump? Men's high jump. Um, I'm going to go like a good woman's high jump amount. I'm going to go under that. One. Oh. Can you do it in the inches, please? Or? 185. Let me. I'm gonna say 201. So you guys are saying like six feet low or something? I don't know. I don't know my metric numbers. You guys are way off. I'm surprised the results in Ethiopia were. This is the national record. Oh, a national record. Oh, I would have. I didn't think you'd be telling us about it if it wasn't really bad. Is it like 230? It's 210, which is 610 and three quarters. I mean, you know, that would be fairly competitive in the Ivy League, but it probably wouldn't win it. it definitely wouldn't have won it this year. Oh, I didn't know how short. I was guessing 185 is six feet. <laughs> I, just, I didn't realize uh, what that was in feet, so I should have gone higher. Like 185 to 199, like actually. I've got some other ones, though. What about the men's long jump? Omad Oguku Chamo has won it. Let's say 7, 7.10. He won it in 7:57, which is 24 feet 10 inches. Now, to put you in in, in, in put that in marking perspective, that's actually decent. That would be like number 54 in the NCA. He's no Matthew Bowling. That that would have gotten him sixth in the Big 12 meet this weekend. So the national champion. But how about the shot? But I thought about this. Have you ever seen like a stacked, like really strong Ethiopian? I haven't. Shot put mark. John, your guess, please. 2050. I need it in feet. I I can't convert to feet. Sorry. Twenty. What? what Twenty. What, how far does 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 what's his name throw for the U.S. Ryan Krause is like well over twenty-two meters. Oh. Yeah. Well. Fourteen eighty-nine, John. Forty-eight feet ten and a quarter inches for Zagaya Moga. Okay, that's not good. <laughs> He'd lose. He would win very. He wouldn't win a lot of state meets in the United States with that. What do you mean, John? That would be. Th- oh, I guess it's the biggest. Sorry, it's the heaviest shot. Sorry, it's still not good. That would have been. That would be three hundred forty fifth in the NCA. 
And he would have, it's the same mark that Britain man of high point through this weekend to get fourth in the Big South Championships. So he could score in the Big South Championships. Maybe he could get a scholarship. So there you have it, folks. The field events from the Ethiopian Championships are, are riveting. You think all the like, field event guys are pissed because we talked about the field events at the Ethiopian Championships and not say the field events at the SEC? We talked about Mondo Duplantis. Thank you. Thank you. We do it all here. We do it all. All right, guys. Do we want to talk some some real track and field, some Diamond League track and field, Shanghai this weekend? I think this meet is going to be phenomenal. And the only bad thing for Americans is it starts at 7 a.m. in the morning on Saturday morning, so you need to get up early to watch it on NBC Gold. But some really good things coming in that meet. I'm going to run through... I'll, I'll name a few matchups here, and you guys can tell me which ones, which one you're most excited for. So, 400 hurdles. We have Abdurrahman Samba and Roy Benjamin, two of the four fastest men in history. They've never raced each other. They're racing each other for the first time on Saturday in Shanghai. The men's 5,000. We've got Salomon Borrego, fresh off his win at the Ethiopian Champs. Hagos Gebrewer and Yomif Kajelcha. So, Kajelcha, who broke the world record in the mile indoors this year. Gebrewer ran 1245 last year. Paul Chalimo and the world cross-country champ, Joshua Cheptegei. So that's going to be a great 5,000. Sydney McLaughlin, her Diamond League debut in the 400, taking on Salwa Eid Nasser of Bahrain, who was the silver medalist at Worlds in 2017. has run 49.08. And then we've got men's 100, Noah Lyles, Christian Coleman squaring off. Guys, what is the event that you are most looking forward to this weekend? Weldon. Well, I'm supposed to... I'm going 400 hurdles, but I got Noah Lyles and Christian Coleman racing. I mean, usually that's the deal. Just It sort of shows, though, that you need a build-up and story. And I don't know, these kind of diamond leagues just sort of get dropped on us. And there's, it's, it's, what, May, and we're going to be competing in October this year. So I think a, a lot of sports is about the buzz and anticipation and the build-up. Um, but for me, the hurdles hasn't happened, so that's the one I'm going with for sure. I, I- I have to agree with you, Weldon. I think the 400 hurdles is my favorite. But what I like is that they're racing now. So you get sort of an early marker to see where people stand. Maybe they race once more in the regular season. And they'll probably have to race in the Diamond League final again. So the Worlds will be like the fourth time they race. But I like seeing where we stand now and then maybe checking in a few months from now, see if things have changed. Robert, what about you? What is exciting you in Shanghai? Well, that's amazing meet, right? I mean, uh, thank you for promoting it, John. Um yeah, I was. I wanted to see Benjamin and uh, the other guy race last year in the 400 hurdles. So I'm very excited about that. But come on, that 5,000 is absurd. And since the Diamond League is going to wipe out the 5,000, I'm going to really appreciate that. Maybe the last time I see a high-quality 5,000 on the Diamond League circuit. But I think this is great. You want the big matchups early in the season. And then, you know, maybe once in the middle of the season. And then at the end. We don't need it every weekend. But hearing about Christian Coleman, I just am upset. Like, why didn't he run Road World Relays? I don't get that. To me, I don't care if you're in the 400 runners, but the 4 by one guys need to practice for the for the baton exchanges. USATF, we need some leadership from you. We need some leadership from you. Please do something with your time. And we have a an editorial up, folks. Go to Let's Run. You're going to be hit with the splash page. Please try to save the Olympic trials. Um, it's one of the greatest meets in, in, in American – greatest races in American track and field. It's the best marathon in the U.S., and in our opinion, its future is in jeopardy, and there's no reason for this. 
Um, we, we need to have something that the fans, the spectators can understand. The top three across the line go to the Olympics and the marathon trials. We're going to be sending three anyways. We can get into the weeds and talk about you know who's at fault here, the IWF, the USATF. But I'm very disappointed so far in how the USATF has handled this. It's been two months since the, the rules have been changed and nothing has happened from USATF. You guys, I know, have been talking to people behind the scenes. I mean, I don't understand. From talking to you guys, it sounds like nothing has been done. It's been two months. Like, what's going on? Max Siegel likes to use his private plane. He should have gotten on the private plane and flown over to Monaco to talk to these people. Or he should have flown to Atlanta to talk to the Atlantic Track Club people and, and done something very quickly. Instead, we're, we, two months? Come on. People are making their decisions now. Right. I was told two months ago that the USATF was going to appeal to the IAF to either have them lower the standards in the marathon or try to give the Olympic trials marathon gold label status so that the top three finishers would automatically get the standard. Then I emailed again last week and asked Susan Hazard, USATF uh, head of communications, if that had happened or if that was going to happen. She said it was going to happen this week. She said that last Thursday on May 9th. So I don't know if that means it's happened yet. They said they were going to appeal to the US to IAF. So who knows the status of that? It may happen, but uh, right now we're still there are a lot of questions left unanswered. Yeah, I think a couple of things. One, this sort of shows how people can just do their jobs and not look outside of their jobs and sort some problems and some bureaucracy. But if you're like a performance guy at USATF. You're probably evaluated how the USOC evaluates you, which is like, can this person win an Olympic medal? So that's what you're focused on. And you're thinking, okay, who cares if the third place guy at the trials doesn't make it? That guy's not going to win a medal. What you're not getting. And then if you're at the IWF, you're like, hey, we came up with a ranking system. It's better than nothing. It's not perfect. Oh, USA shouldn't be favored. Shouldn't get an exception for its own trials. So this is a good system. We shouldn't favor them. What you're both missing is that distance running in America starts with the Olympic marathon trials. Hundreds of people try to qualify. Thousands try to qualify. Hundreds make it. They all got in their communities. When I sucked as a runner, Let's Run would not be here without the Olympic marathon trials, first of all, because it gave me something to shoot for. I made it. I was like the 120th guy, but I dreamed of being number three. And I got the number four in the country in the 10K, not the year of the Olympics, but I got way better than I thought solely because of the opportunity in Olympic marathon trials. But more importantly, also when I moved to Flagstaff to train for the trials in the 100th place guys, you meet people at airports, you talk about the Olympics, and they're like, go get them. And that Olympic dream starts there. They talk to you, they know somebody, that sort of stuff. And then they go out in their communities, and this is built up for the Olympics as a whole. And NBC pays billions of dollars because of this dream that people strive to, and it needs to be top three, make it. Because otherwise, let's say seven guys, only seven guys every year have this standard. Why hold the trials? Why would Atlanta want to invest millions of dollars in this? They're shutting down downtown Atlanta. The trials isn't in like, you know, 9 a.m. like a lot of marathons. It's going to be like noon, I think. And they're shutting this down, investing millions of dollars. And now maybe the top three won't make it. So it's just a no-brainer. Please get this fixed. We don't need a gold label status. We just need the top three somehow. We don't need extra points for the U.S. But just please, like, this is so imperative. And if you're listening to the podcast, please Look at her thing. Just tweet something out. Hashtag save the trials. Other people read this. And hopefully other outlets pick this up. It, it's very important, I feel like, because of what the trials represent. There's so much built around it. Yeah. 
and we are, I noticed this morning when I woke up and we're doing we're recording this broadcast early. We did get a retweet from ESPN's Bonnie Ford at two thirty in the morning. So I'm not sure Bonnie was doing up that late, but so it is getting some viral traction. There's a few sour posts on the message board uh, that I, I knew this had happened. They're like, "Well, you should just run faster if you can't run two eleven thirty. And those people don't get it. First of all, what's different about this is it was changed in the middle of the game. The rules have been changed in the middle of the process. If you're a U.S. marathoner, when these rules came out two months ago, you'd already picked your spring marathon. Many of them had already picked Boston. Guess what? A sub-211.30 in Boston doesn't count because it's an aided course. Many of them were probably already planning on skipping a fall marathon because the trials are in February. So basically, if you're a U.S. marathoner, you really had no shot to get this time in 2019. It's just you didn't have a shot. Now, you could get top 10 in Boston, but that's a limited number of people that can do that. So it's just stupid. And Walden's right about this. In the grand scheme of things, the high-performance people at USATF, they don't care who is third in the Olympic marathon trials. They should care, but they don't care if Jared Ward gets that third spot. Guess what? He didn't run 211.30 to make the team. The, the trials were hot in LA. He ran like 212-something. Where did he finish in the Olympics? He finished sixth place. And what was his time in the Olympics? 211.30. So 211.30 in a hot race is pretty good. So it's just Weldon's right though about the dream and what it represents. And if we become a country where it's only the medalists that matter, it's just there's going to be no grassroots. It's it's not going to be popular. And the reason why the Olympic trials are popular is because you have these rags, you know, these the people who, who who are happy to be on the team. And yes, you have your stars. The Michael Phelpses, the Usain Bolts, they carry the Olympics, but it, you need the whole package. You know, you need it all together. So retweet it, do what you can to help out. And the performance people should care because millions of dollars are invested in the sport. The shoe companies put a lot of money because of these training groups, the dreams, it all filters down. That goes away to some extent. It would be diminished without the trials. NBC, it's a great event for them sort of leading up to the Olympics. It's about, what, six months out. And that's one of the things we added in the article. I mean, I think I mentioned this on a podcast a few weeks ago. I went to brunch with my wife's friends and they're like, Hey, you going to Atlanta next year? Our friend made it, you know, and, and she is not going to finish in the top three, but the, the idea of the trials, if in reality, there's no even hope that anyone besides the top six people have a shot. It's just, you're, 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 you're ruining that myth or that, or that dream. Yeah. And another Jim Walmsley plug. I asked him about the trials, and I'm like, hey, this 21130 standard, because essentially, I mean, Jim's a huge streamer, and he's like, I only want to run the trials if I think I can make the team. And I'm like, 21130, that course is pretty difficult. But pretty much now, it sounds like he's committed to doing the trials no matter what. He goes, well, be pretty epic, man. If I finish top three, it wasn't 21130. That'd be just like the biggest F you to them. And I'm like, yep, it would be, and it would be a terrible PR thing to have. So... I think the message boards would explode if Jim Walmsley finished third and didn't get to go to the Olympics. That would be ridiculous. That will be coming up in a couple of days. We may have the highlights of that interview typed up later today on Let's Run. But please, we want the trials saved. Speaking of dreamers, Parker Stenson set an American record to 25K this weekend. I think he definitely deserves a mention on the podcast. And this guy's been aiming big at a lot of races and blowing up, I think, most famously at the USA Marathon Champs, what, two years ago? Really went out hard, like sub-210 pace or 210 pace and paid the price and did a couple other races. And people are like, why is he doing this? And Parker's like, you know, I want to go big. And, well, he went big enough to pretty much crush the USA 25K record. 
at in, in uh, Michigan this weekend. I mean, yeah, argue the record soft, blah, 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 blah. But coming through in, I think, 62.03 and continuing on to get the American record. So pretty big run there. Yeah, I mean, that's great. 62.03 for a half marathon and then keep going for another few miles. I think that's great. It's an outright PR for him in the half marathon. I don't think they'll count it officially, but you know, you, he knows he's run 62.03 for 13.1 miles, which is really good. And yeah, I was, I was impressed by that. He went for it. He ran pretty much the whole thing solo. And I think he knew he was capable of something like that, but he finally showed everyone else that he is as well. Yeah, he won by 78 seconds. This is a guy I dropped the ball on, you know. He was looking for a coach, or he said he he'd pay someone ten thousand dollars, right? If he broke two twelve or something. Yeah, I think it was if he broke like two eleven, he would pay someone fifteen thousand dollars. But if he didn't, they had to pay him. I should have taken him. I said, look, we'll pay you ten thousand dollars if you let me coach you. Be it'd be a reality TV show. But so if you could tire Ritz Parker, I'll coach you with John Kellogg's help to greatness. But let's debate. Uh, well, first of all, a shout out to Steph to uh, Stephanie, not excuse me, to Emma Bates, who won the women's race by one forty three and one twenty three fifty one after splitting halfway in seventy forty eight. And that's one thing I want to talk about. This race is this race came one week after the U.S. half marathon championships. So this race was twenty five k. It's fifteen point five miles. One week after we're having a. a, a half marathon national championships that to me makes no sense and i'm like why wouldn't the same runners run both so shout out to emma bates she actually ran both races so this week she runs 25k after going through the halfway in 70 48 last week at the u.s half marathon championships she only ran 71 13 flat out now the pittsburgh course is probably hillier but she was third there so she ran faster today my question to you is who would have won if we put all the runners in the half marathon and all the runners in the 25K in the same race, who would have won? So Bates split 70-48 this week and kept going, whereas last week Bruce ran 70-44. I mean, I guess Bruce did beat her last week. So, John, do you think? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we have our answer. But here's the thing. Isn't the idea of a national championship that we don't have to ask these questions, that we can just say, hey, if we put everyone together on the same day, who would win? That's the goal in crowning a national champion. And what you do by having two races that are essentially identical, 25K and 21.1K, within a, they were six days apart, not even a week. It's crazy. You know, uh, who would have liked to see Lena Correa, who won the USA Half Marathon Championships, race Parker Stinson? I would have. So to have two different races a week apart, and they're essentially both crowning national champions, and then we have a 20K national championships in September – ludicrous i think it's fine it's good that these races want to pay out prize money invest in the sport that's great but only one of them should be called a national championship if you really want it the title of national champion to mean something you can't have three national champions for essentially one event i agree with you in theory but i don't think they want to pay out the big prize money unless they get to label themselves as national champion but career ran 61 53 so parker split 6202 now i assume pittsburgh is hillier as i said before so that would have been an interesting race. I'm going to have to say I'm going with career in that one, but um, he's a sub 60 half marathoner. I'd have to pick him too. But yeah. Oh, we need to give a shout out. Let's run zone. Kelsey Bruce, eighth place in the women's race on the 25 K championships. Yes. Kelsey Bruce sighting. And she gets the money. So if, if it was all one race, she might not have gotten paid John. So there we go. There's the answer. Team. Let's run is back, baby. We're back. Top 10 of the USA national championship. 
We should get an update with Kelsey soon. Guys, we haven't done deleted thread of the week. I think we're pretty much done here, but we got a couple options. People who drive by and yell, um, it rhymes with hag, when runners wear split shorts. Sincerely, don't delete. What is Let's Run doing to counter Russian trolls? Or the biggest bulge in track and field. Wait, what about the thread that you made you... That wasn't the one that you were cracking up about before the podcast, though, well, then. You shot it down. I really like this thread. Kara Goucher encounters mountain lying, L-Y-I-N, apostrophe. And so it's a pun. Kara, I guess I should say, claims that she encountered a mountain lion this week in Boulder. And I guess this person's implying suggesting she may be lying about that instead of lying. I thought it, just, it made me laugh out loud when I first saw it. It was only one post and I laughed and said, that's clever. Why does that need to be deleted? Is the deleted thread of the week like one that shouldn't have been deleted or that one that should have been deleted? But even like when people yell FAG at you while you're running, that's so common. I've always wondered that. Like, What's wrong with discussing that? Like, Obviously, we've all had it. You wear the little split shorts, some asshole – I guess, I don't know if he's homophobic or what, but I'm heterosexual and I'm running in short shorts. It doesn't really matter what sexuality I'm running in in short shorts. But Let's go into the psychology of this. I actually think that the reason why they yell it, it reminds me of these conservative guys that like politicians that are like leading, they're passing the anti-gay stuff. And then it comes out that they're having sex in bathroom stalls with guys. Like they're closeted. Like I, I think that, they see like I'm gonna have to reveal a few things about myself, guys. I've always said that I would be a really hot woman because my legs are kind of thin and muscular. Roger, have you used the new Snapchat filter? I've seen it done. I've not used it. You need to get on that, man. If you go to put it to the test. So, anyways, one year I dressed up as a woman runner for Halloween. I was down in Georgetown, DC. And people were obviously drinking a, a, a lot of money, you know, a lot down there. And I got into a cab and was leaving, and I, I had a stuffed jog bra and stuff. And I think a wig or something. But some guy came. I got in my cab and I was going home with my friend. And uh, see, it's like Weldon and Stephanie Bruce, my friend who was just a friend, but she's a woman. So we were, nothing was going on there. And we're headed back, and this guy is like, the window was down, and this guy is like leaning in, trying to like, I mean, Grope me, I guess, basically, that I was hot. And then he realized I was a guy. No, I was standing outside the cab is what happened was. He sees my, my, my boobs, and he's, like, trying to flirt with me and stuff. And then he looks. He keeps going down and somehow realizes maybe from the bulge. I was wearing white spandex tights. I think he sees the bulge, the small bulge <laughs> in my tights. And he, he got really mad. All of a sudden, started screaming, like, wanted to fight me. But he was hitting on me, like, five seconds before this. So... I think that's what happens with these runners. You see this, these legs and this thin, you know, Oh, that hot. Oh, oh, it's a guy. And then you get really mad at yourself deep down, you know, Hey, so I think they're covering for something. I think the mountain, the mountain lion thread is amazing. I mean, I believe Kara, why would she make this up? This isn't like a Jesse Smollett story. Like this is, I don't, I don't know why Weldon think, I, I just thought the Weldon reacting that much to a simple pun. I just found amusing, but with the, with the yelling, the you know homophobic slur at people, yeah, so it certainly happened to me when I'm running as well, and I'm not gay, so you know it's it's just to me, I just think the people who yell it are 
uneducated. They have never, they're not, they're, they haven't grown up. No one's ever told them that this is wrong or they haven't learned that lesson. Like when you, that's something that most people you would think would learn it at some point, you know, before their teenage years or the latest their teenage years that that's just not acceptable. And these people never have. So they're just sort of acting like children and, you know, morons who don't know any better. And I think, I think it's just clearly just, they haven't been educated on this thing. What they're doing is wrong. That's the way I see it. Or they're just homophobes, in which case, screw them. A nice job by Robert of combining the two threads, the bulge thread and the um, fag thread. So well done. Thank you. I've managed to turn everything back to personal anecdotes, stories about myself. I, I do this because there's a message board thread person who gets really mad when I do that. But we promised to end the folks with my play-by-play from the 4x4. Four four. I want to have people compare that to the Texas State meet. I think I was almost as good. All right. We'll have that soon. And remember, later this week, we'll have a bonus podcast with Jim Walmsley. The Carbon X is out. And I said, actually, that Floyd's of Leadville was in the bedroom. My wife was having, like, terrible back pain. She's been bugging her. She woke up at 3 a.m. Floyd's has a transdermal cream, like a sports cream. Rub that in there. She said she was feeling better. So if you're interested in testing out CBD, oils, tinctures, gels, go to floydsofleadville.com. Use code RUN2019 to save 15%. And we didn't have audio of the week this week. And I, I, I want to have somebody call in. You know, if we, Who do we have? We had the fake. Was it Alberto that called in one time or Galen? or Fake Ryan Hall for sure. Oh, fake Ryan Hall. We had a fake Ryan Hall. That's what it was. So – Audio of the week, I want to hand out a pair of Carbon X's. If somebody, my favorite audio of the week for next week, so call in and you could win. Yes. Give them the number, Robert. You, you can post. There's a link below the podcast on Let's Run, how you can leave audio, but you can also call. 844-LET'S-RUN. That's 844-538-LETS-RUN, folks. Unlike Facebook, unlike Twitter, you can actually call us, the behemoths of the, of the internet. Let's run.com. And we'll give away a free pair of Carbon X shoes in the next couple of weeks. So please, to the best listener audio. All right, John, Robert, thanks. Everybody, don't forget, Shanghai Diamond League, what time on Saturday? 7 a.m. 4.36 a.m. Pacific time to watch Sydney McLaughlin run her Diamond League debut. Okay, but people on the West Coast, you guys can tape this. Everyone else, you must watch live. Till next week. Here's Robert's audio of the Anchor Leg 4x4 Ivy League. Don't get any bigger than that. Next. Yeah, everyone loves listening to year-old 4x4 from the Ivy League championships. Give the people what they want. With it, a full two seconds behind. Yeah, 2.8 seconds she's got to make up. Can she do it? This would be one of the most legendary legs in Hep's history. She is starting red hot. She's moved from fourth to second. Her teammates rooting her on. Trying to chase down the Olympian in 2016, the Commonwealth Games semifinalist, and she is gaining ground. Obenga Krofi can feel her footsteps. Oh my goodness. 25 high for Thomas at the 200. Obenga Krofi on top. Does Thomas have one more memorable moment in store? Here she comes. I think she's going to do it. There's 100 meters to go. Akua Obenga Krofi trying to hold off Gabrielle Thomas. Does Thomas have anything left? Here they come to the finishing line. It is so close. The ship, Thomas got it. 
Harvard does it. Oh my! 49-44, my watch! Oh my god, that's the official time is 49-44 split for Gabrielle Thomas in a career of memorable moments. That may just be the best run of Thomas's life. Oh my goodness!